Good morning, everybody. It is uh, 12, 15 a.m. on Saturday, January 14th. I am uh, recording a delayed reaction to Purdue's, uh, I don't want to say cruise to a victory over Nebraska, but uh, the win over Nebraska last night in Mackey Arena. The new look boilers wore some anthracite uniforms that people actually liked this time. The old, the old gray uniforms weren't very big fan favorite, but... Uh, based on the reaction on Twitter and the uniform reveal, Purdue fans like these. I'll talk about the uniforms. I'll talk about the victory. But first, before I do it, let me thank our sponsors. Thanks to Martin Vintage. Head over to martinvintage.com. Get a t-shirt, get a sweatshirt, get a, get a classic Purdue look. Um, and when you do, if you enter Boiled at checkout, you get 15% off. It's a killer deal. It's a nice product, and it's a Purdue family. Support them. Uh, they, they make really nice stuff. And then when you're on campus next time, the next home game, <clears throat> go over to AJ's. AJ's on Vine. Uh, and uh, I see my pal Handel Jones is here. Um, head over to AJ's on Vine. Uh, get a burger. Get a beef. Get a beer. Uh, get, some, get some funnel cake f uh, sticks. Not fries. I almost said it again. Funnel cake sticks. And... Um, Enjoy the televisions, a lot of good stuff, great staff there, my pal Adam's there, um, and uh, you'll leave with a big smile on your face if you, if you order ahead, eataj's.com eat if that's your sort of thing, um, and uh, it'll be ready when you get there. So, um, yeah, Purdue improves to 16-1 and on the season. Um, that's a big deal, that's the sec, pardon me, it ties the best start in the history of the program. That's pretty, pretty good. So if they win the next game, they will actually, it'll be the best start in program history. If you like history and you like the fact that if you think this Purdue team looks pretty good, well, they do. It's, um, it's not your imagination. It's pretty special to do what this team is doing. Now they're, of course, third in America. That's also special if you like that sort of thing, if rankings are your thing. Or if you just look at them as an indicator of other things that are going on, being third in America is a good thing. Uh, the weird thing is the... The computers like Purdue a lot more about a month and a half ago. Now Purdue keeps winning. Teams like UConn have <clears throat> slipped on the banana peel a couple times, and uh, UConn now has three losses, but somehow is ahead of Purdue in the Ken Palm. No matter. Uh, it all comes down to the algorithm of who's winning, who's not. Big Ten right now is beating itself up, kind of infighting itself to death. Michigan State, who was right behind Purdue in the standings, lost to Illinois tonight. Illinois, of course, was was floundering about without any direction or without any identity other than they were having problems figuring out who they were according to their coach has now figured some things out and I think uh, that's an addition by subtraction if I'm understanding correctly I think they're down a player who is taking some time off or getting ready to transfer I really don't understand don't care but they're there that team is mainly composed or comprised of um, I think they have four or five transfers that's going to happen. We have a bunch of guys that don't know each other very well, haven't been together very long. Sometimes it takes them a bit to understand what, what's the deal, and it's hard to get all those personalities to mesh. Purdue, conversely, is a team that has a lot of key parts that are young and haven't known each other a long time. But damn it, they are a focus group. If you look at uh, Lawyer and Smith specifically, these guys, I, I thought I don't like listening to Ken Bardo speak as a rule. But Bardo had a great point, and I think he uh, – it's a great point, and it's a, a simple point. But he said, I don't know what Matt Painter's done to get these two freshmen to, to 
not understand what they are, but these guys play like juniors, not like freshmen. That's a great point. Both those guys play poised. And one of the biggest things, if you've been watching Purdue interviews leading into this game, Lawyer talked about playing basketball with amnesia, which was a funny interview. I don't know if you saw it. Um, my pal Handel might appreciate this uh, because he's a smart guy. You will appreciate it because you're older than seven years old. <clears throat> but young people don't know what amnesia means, I guess. And Lawyer did not. His, his AAU coach or someone told him, play basketball in amnesia. And the thing I liked about the point so much was not that you play basketball with amnesia, meaning forget what you just did if you miss a shot, which is, you know, uh, just kind of moving on. But he said, you got to play that way with your teammates as well. And I think this is the greatest point that I heard all week. So if your coach is telling you run a play, run action that gets Smith the ball and Smith just missed, or Edie the ball and Edie's not feeling it that night, you keep running the play as the coach asks because that's what's asked to do of you. The thing that I really like how this meshes together, so that goes back like three years, I guess, that a lawyer heard that advice to play all parts of basketball with, uh, with amnesia, is Coach Painter... <clears throat> Last week had a great quote saying that he wants the players always to have the blame come back to the coaches, meaning if you run the action, the play that I call, and the play doesn't work, that's on me as a coach. It's not on you for missing the shot if you run the play as prescribed. And he's been really big this year. Painter has been really big in this idea of process-driven basketball not results-driven basketball, meaning if you miss a shot, it's not the end of the world. If you're getting better during the game and if you're running the plays and the sets as they're being prescribed. <clears throat> I love this because the guy that I heard talk about this process being as important as the result first, I know it's not a new idea, but the guy I heard talk about it more, more than anybody over and over and over was a guy named Brad Stevens. Matt Painter and Brad Stevens are obviously uh, pretty good buddies, if you saw the, the game in the palestra, Brad Stevens was in the front row watching his old protege and pal uh, Micah Shrewsbury coach and his friend Matt Painter. And I think those three all get along pretty well. Is it a coincidence that Painter's really been hitting that idea and been talking to Stevens? I don't think so. I think this is um, Painter trying to improve his craft. And it's one of the reasons I like Matt Painter so much. One of the reasons when people on Twitter say, why the hell is Ethan Morton playing? And I'll say... I'm going to trust Matt Painter almost every time with basketball decisions because I just really like him. And the more I hear Painter talk these days, it's funny. Even without records, I just trust him and believe him more and more. Similarly, Zach Eady is another guy that I love hearing talk in post-game interviews. Zach Eady has been brilliant and heady and cerebral. Um, when you hear him talk, he doesn't talk like a typical college basketball player. He talks about a guy that is approaching the game mentally, then he goes and executes, then he comes back and assesses, and then he moves on and gets better every time. Zach Eady knew what he was getting into tonight versus Nebraska, and he talked about it in his interviews coming into it. He said, Nebraska throws unusual things at you. They will triple-team the big man all, all day. You have to be ready to not have your shot because you're going to be completely covered. Sure enough, Zach Eady, I don't think, had, I don't think he had a point for seven or eight minutes, something like that. Very unusual in comparison to what he did last game. Um, and I think he finished, I'm, I'm not looking at the stats right now, but I'll look at him in a second. Um, I think he finished with 12 and 13. So another double-double and four blocks on top of that. I'll double-check my work here in a second. But 
you'll see the you can see the way I'm dressed. My not my typical spirit attire, if you will, if you're if you have kids in school. Um, I'm dressed like a grown-up because it was a Friday night and my wife and I went on a date and literally I was in a place where the Purdue game was only on one screen, nice-ish restaurant, one screen in the whole restaurant. Every other screen had the Pacers game on, but I could see the Purdue game way over there. And I asked for it to change, didn't work out, doesn't matter. So I got to watch the game on delay. It's a kind of fun thing. I don't do it most times, but watch on delay, knowing the result and then I come to you very late at night, and that's why I'm kind of glossing over a lot of the stuff, not talking as much about the game yet, because there's a bigger picture here. And it's so late. I'm sure if you're a Purdue junkie, which most of you guys on here, I recognize your name. That's, uh, uh, yeah, uh, my pal Chris Harder says, late night with Mr. Dowd. Yeah, you can call it after dark with with B. Dowd, or you can call it Late Night uh, at Boiled Sports, whatever you want to do. But thank you all for being tuning in live. It's, it's great to see you. It's great to see you. you look great, especially for this late at night. But I'm wearing a collared shirt. I don't look very good in collared shirts because my massively wide neck. Um, but um, still somewhat grown up, even though I'm wearing a hoodie. It's a, it's a kind of a fancy hoodie. It has no logos on it. Um, Anyway, so like I said, Purdue improves 16-1. Nebraska uh, is not a fun, does not run a fun offense. They're not a very productive team, especially without Logan Paul, whichever Paul brother is that plays for Nebraska. I'm kidding. It's the the guy who looks like a German. Um, He was out, and another player on Nebraska is out. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't change anything for me. I've watched Nebraska play enough that I'm like, yeah, they're not a very fun team to watch play. Uh, they do play a stifling style of defense. Purdue handled it very well. They knew what they were getting into. And um, the the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway that I had was I don't think Purdue was finding the right guys out of those double and triple teams. So they would they would try to seek the easiest way out, which is what you're going to do when you get that much pressure on you. And Purdue often would throw it to the guy that had an easier angle, uh, the Nebraska player had an easier angle to get on that shooter. And Purdue did not make Nebraska pay very much. The only guy who was making him pay, of course, was Fletch. Fletch Lawyer, there's just like 27 points. I'm going to look at that in a second. I think he was 50% from three. I think he was six for 12. Um, he had the dagger at the end of the game. Purdue was already, the game was already out of hand. But if it wasn't for Lawyer and Edie starting the game playing pretty well on offense, it could have been just an absolutely disgusting game to watch. Because Nebraska was averaging well under point a minute until about the 15-minute mark. If I, if I remember correctly, they had like 9 or 12 points 15 minutes into the game. Really ugly brand of basketball. And Purdue wasn't much better. I think that at that point they were up by 7 or 8 points. And Nebraska hung around there down by like 6 or something like that at the half. Um, and the only reason they were up, honestly, was because Edie found a little bit of a groove there late in the first half. And, uh, and Lawyer started the game white hot. He had... Um, three three-pointers in the first five and a half minutes. So he had nine points. So a running start to that 27-point um, uh, game, which he was the leading scorer, of course, for Purdue. And um, there were some errors or some bad things, but every Big Ten game is delicious. And to win by, uh, I don't want to say easy uh, margin, but to, to win in a comfortable fashion is always a nice thing. Let's talk a little bit about stats. I'll come back to see the comments. We'll wrap it up. So, uh, like I said, Purdue, um, they're 16-1, only the second time in program history after uh, winning 73-55. to um, 
couple guys on Nebraska got my attention. Of course, every time I watch Nebraska play, I'm super impressed with Tommy Naga, um, the Canadian-born guy. He's a he's an interesting player. He's a creative player. Kind of has an unusual game. Um, I'll compare him to somebody, a young Steve Nash, if you watched him play in college, because he's kind of creative and he hits a, hits a lot of shots. Versus Purdue, he always plays really well. He was four for five today. Finished with 16 points. And Walker on the other side in the he took advantage, honestly, of Trakoff and Wren. Uh, he looked really good when Edie was not in there. Um, another thing, oh, I want to talk about one more thing before I get into Purdue stats. The officials called two or three phantom fouls. One of them was on Trakoff and Wren. That's what made me remember. They called a, a, a horrible charge where Wren was shoved in the back into another Nebraska player, and they called a charge. It was the same official who did it both times. And I know, I don't know why I expect anything out of college basketball officials. And I know these are the ones that the Big Ten hand picks, and this is the result they get. They're just absolute dog crap. But uh, I don't know this guy's name. I'm glad every time I don't know an official's name, I'm happy because it shouldn't matter. You shouldn't, they should blend into the background. Instead, these guys are so much part of the game, way too much part of the game. But two or three of these phantom calls in the second half were just really, really frustrating. And the game was already pretty had a good, a, a decent lead. I think they were up by close to 20 at that time. But that stuff just makes me nuts. Um, anyway, uh, like I said, Lawyer finishes. I'm right on, dude. Memory's great. 27 points, uh, 6 of 12, shooting from 3. And uh, he did have three turnovers, three assists. Uh, his pal, Zach Eady, 12 points, 13 uh, rebounds, four blocks. Those are really the two guys that led the way. Mason Gillis had a couple key plays, finished with 10 points, five rebounds. Um, and Gillis, again, I will say this over and over, he's like Morton but a little bit different in that he is in the right place at the right time so many times. Guys like that, it's just tough to keep them off the court. And Gillis is kind of amazing. I think he's, if you really look at what Painter probably likes about him more than anything, he's really a starter coming off the bench, and this is something that Painter's had the luxury of doing two years in a row. Last year it was with Travion Williams. This year it's Gillis. Gillis comes off the bench. He only plays 19 minutes, which is more than he's played the last few, and he just makes his minutes count. He makes big plays. Maybe the biggest stat for this game, Purdue uh, got back to shooting free throws very well. They got to line quite a bit, 20 times, but they shot 80% from the, from the stripe. Nearly shot 40% from three, but the reason they did that was all because of Fletch Lawyer uh, going six for 12. The rest of the team, nobody, nothing to write home about. Um, in fact, David Jenkins, continued, he got back into kind of a that little bit of a slump he's had. He's not shooting at the clip that he has for his career. He was 0 for 3. Um, and uh, I don't want, it's not a problem if you win. But it's not a good thing when you expect a certain thing. I think part of it is that Jenkins hasn't played against Big Ten teams his whole career. The defense is different in the Big Ten. The refs allow more contact, like I've been talking about this season over and over. Um, it's it's a it's a tough brand of basketball, and um, the Big Ten is just beating up on itself. It's just flat out is. Purdue stays atop the Big Ten, of course. Um, they're five and one in conference in a really really good position, of course in uh, mid-January, and uh, what, what, you can't complain too loudly. If you do, no one's going to listen. But I thought Purdue would uh, go this five-game stretch. If you guys like this show, if you, you know, listen to some of the things I said, I thought they'd go, I think, did I say? They'd have two losses in a five-game stretch. Uh, the next game might be their toughest, um, but um, 
It'd be great. If they went four and one, that'd be, that's house money type stuff. So let me look at the comments and then I'll, I'll call it an evening. Uh, Handle Jones, great point. Very businesslike in anthracite. So like kind of business attire, right? Is that what we're saying? Kind of serious look. Like me in my anthracite hoodie. Purdue was an anthracite. Uh, Mohill93, who is absolutely everywhere. I'm sure he, she, I don't know. You got to give me some more information at some point. Always here, but always traveling on the road. Uh, an amazing road warrior, uh, a Purdue hero. Uh, Mohill93 says, I can still be mad at the rest tonight, even though we shot uh, like 20 free throws. So you reinforced my point. That, that comment was well before what I just said. So I agree with you. Um, yeah, Mohill93, again, making the point that I just said, glad I have season tickets so I didn't have to listen to Bardo. I'm telling you, I, I would like to see how many games you've missed in the last couple months. Incredible, incredible record. Uh, Brian T. says, how long do you anticipate uh, Smith and Fletcher will remain in college basketball? Well, a couple things. I, I, I stopped doing this thing where I anticipate things a couple, maybe a year ago. And the reason I stopped doing it was because we are in such a tough era, um, such a tough era <clears throat> to try to, to predict what's going to happen. How many times, if you're Purdue fans, have you watched your favorite player, a guy like, let's, let's say like Rondell Moore, let's on the football side, right? <clears throat> we really haven't been bit by this in basketball yet. You could say Jaden Ivey because he, he went pro. But a guy that you're like, man, I can't wait to see what he's like in two years, right? But you never get that second year because transfers are so prevalent, leaving early is prevalent, whatever. The, the game is much more fluid than it's ever been. And I can complain a little bit here. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I would here's what I would caution you. If you believe that this is the right thing to have a free-flowing exchange of players and people, and money being exchanged at all times, I think what's going to have to happen, if you're going to have on one point this, uh, this, you have all this, uh, you have a ton of money in the game, obviously, and we can talk, we can argue, we can debate about the goodness and the badness of this. But the big thing that I'd say is without, if you're having money exchanged, and then on top of that, you're having guys come and go, there's going to have to be contracts. There are going to have to be some sort of contractual obligation for these players, just like there is in other places. And I know they say coaches can come and go, but there is a cost for that coach leaving every single time. Somebody pays that cost. Now, the question is, if you say, is there a buyout of a player contract or, or is there going to be a punishment that you – maybe everybody has to stay two years. That's what I would suggest. Or you get one free transfer. I don't know. I, I just – I don't – I can't look ahead. I know it's a hell of a long answer, but I can't look too far ahead um, at Smith and Lawyer. I would guess, if I'm just going to guess, I'm not going to anticipate, I'm going to enjoy the now. I guess you have, in my opinion, Smith is going to be a tougher one because he is pretty short. And so NBA scouts, I hope he looks every year, goes and listens to what the scouts have to say when he, you know, in the offseason. But his size is the is his biggest detriment, obviously. If you want to compare him to somebody, I keep saying Scott Skiles. If you're old, he plays with that intensity. He's a better athlete than Skiles was. He's got a better wingspan than Skiles was. But Skiles was pretty crafty scorer, and that's why he had a good pro career. Um, 
I, I think I think it's a decent comparison. I don't know how tall Skiles was. I would guess he's six feet tall, and I think Smith is probably five ten, even though he's listed at five eleven. I'm just guessing. But Smith's arms are a big difference maker. It makes him a completely different type of player because his reach is so long. It makes him be able to play above the rim, literally, which is pretty impressive for a guy of his height. And he's also just a tremendously explosive athlete for a little guy. Um, Mohill93 says, I think they're here for four years. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. I, I want. Here's the thing. Once a guy commits to Purdue and I like their personality, then I'm like, I want him here forever. I love these guys. I don't want any anybody to make a decision that's detrimental to their family or to their way of life. But let's be real honest. There are very, very few examples of that where a guy has a career-ending injury. A lot of guys get injured in sports, but a career-ender where you never play a sport again, it's pretty rare, um, especially in basketball. And I want these guys to play at Purdue as long as I can. I enjoy having them here. Both those guys seem like they're Purdue-type guys. Pretty darn fun to watch them play. And this roster, in general, I love watching these guys play. This has been a fun season developing, and it's going to get better. It's going to get a lot better, I think. Uh, let's see. Uh, Rude Dog 22 says, 400th career win for Painter. Very good point. Uh, it puts him in the top five all-time in the Big Ten. He's just behind Lou Henson. He's 21 games behind the old uh, Illinois coach, and he'll catch him next season. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. He'll catch Painter. My son and I think it'll be in five years. Uh, pardon me. He'll catch Katie in five years because he's, uh, I mean, that would be averaging 22 wins a year. That's pretty awesome. And he's still youngish, right? I mean, he's young. People our age, my age, whatever you want to say, Painter looks pretty young. Um, to young people, he seems like he's an old middle-aged guy. But man, his, his, his pace at which he's Racking up these wins is pretty noteworthy, especially when you start a season 16-1. and one. Pretty nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, Brian T. says, Purdue has not given up more than 70 points in any game this year. Excellent point. So refreshing to see defensive effort that we all expect out of Purdue. Purdue is, uh, number one, we are biased. We like defense. Number two, we like effort. <clears throat> and uh, I think defense is a good – defense and rebounding are two really good signs, tangible signs of effort. And uh, this team is back to where it should be. This team plays defense at a high level. Uh, Michael Hogg says Monday's game is going to be huge against Sparty. And that's the game that um, – it's a weird game. I think that's a – tell me if I'm wrong. I think it's a 2.30 tip-off. Very unusual. I don't understand why. I'm um, sure there's a good reason. Probably not. But 2.30 tip-off, uh, if you're an adult and you have a job, that's a little bit difficult. If you're like me and you're half adult and you work out a home uh, and you have most of your career, it's not that difficult for you to watch it. But still, very unusual tip-off time. And, uh, yeah, it's a huge game for a lot of reasons. And getting Michigan State after a loss is even worse timing. So time for Purdue to put on their big boy pants. We'll see what happens here. Um, let's see. Mohel23 says, I've given a clue of my birth year and my oh, – okay, nine, no way. So Mohel 93 was born in 93. Young person. It's a guy. So a uh, young man who travels a lot. That's awesome. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. One other. I'll get Brock Stepler here. Real simple. Let's go Boilers. I'm going to end it with that. Thanks to uh, – oh, there we go. Michael Hogg. Great point. It's because it's MLK Day. Dagnabbit. Um, so there have, there's probably a lot of basketball on, on Monday afternoon. Um, it's uh, – yeah, it's I don't like the timing of it. Um, 
but I still, by the way, I'm still working Monday. So I don't know about everybody else. I, I do actually work Monday. So just because I have deadlines. Anyway, I will have a television on in my home office studio, slash, slash, slash. And um, I hope you get to watch your Boilermakers, too. Um, they look to keep atop the Big Ten by themselves. I think, I don't have the standings in front of me, but coming into tonight, uh, they were ahead of Michigan State and somebody else with uh, two losses. So hopefully they can keep a stranglehold on the lead. Regardless, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Painter has referred to this, having these freshmen be such key roles. It's um, the freshman wall that some of you have talked about in the comments uh, is a real thing, but um, one thing that they talked about tonight was that these two freshmen that play such a significant role for Purdue understand what they're getting into because these guys have been around a lot of basketball. If you can research their families, you'll see what we're talking about. So uh, that's about it. Have a great morning. Go get some sleep, gosh darn it. It is nearly 1 a.m. now in central Indiana. God bless you. Hammer down. Go Boilers. We'll see you.